evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I have a brand new guest on. Her name is Cass Clements. She's a politically nonpartisan volunteer, non-lawyer advocate, raising public awareness on innocence issues and court corruption with a primary focus on Illinois and the Metro East area of St. Louis. Her now retired working background includes armored car courier, electronic engineering technician, and Boeing assembly mechanic. She's pretty awesome. She would like to bring and discuss attention to the couple of other unrelated cases she's been looking into and aiding a private investigator with his ongoing investigation. I welcome you, Cass. You know, how are you doing? You have a lot to tell us. How did you get involved in this? Well, I actually originally got involved in this because uh, a coworker of mine at Boeing had approached me with some issues and uh, through communication with him, the more I spoke with him about his individual you know, matters, the more I realized there was probably some nefarious things going on behind the scenes that neither one of us you know, really knew fully. Mm-hmm. So that was partly how I got involved in it. He's a former, uh, what is that? Uh, Boeing employee as well. He's also a veteran. He, mm-hmm. you know, uh, got out of the Air Force back in the late 80s. And he felt he could trust you and go to you with this issue. Yeah, I had known him for a couple of years at the point that he approached me at work. And I talked to him in passing a number of times. Uh, He also interviewed me when I hired on back in 2009. So, yeah, he knew my full background and everything. So... Where his, uh, where's the investigation at now? Are you just waiting on things? Uh, yeah, we're filing some FOIAs. There's uh, some new information that recently came in that points to much bigger corruption that basically affects every everyone in the United States. And uh, it's very disturbing. And I can't really go into all the details about that at the moment, but uh, when I can, I will definitely update you on it. I've got several FOIAs to file. Some of them I've already filed. And, uh, you know, as soon as I get those in, I'll I'll uh, fill you in on those. Mm-hmm. But for right now, um, this right here that I originally had mentioned before, the civil cases, those are, that's information and evidence that we discovered what, 2020, and some of it's even earlier. Uh, The fraud that was in that civil case out of Madison County, that one there, the case itself, the fraud itself was adjudicated in 2009, Mm -hmm. uh, but we didn't discover it until 2020. That's... Wow. Yeah, it it took a long time to uncover all this because there was so much to go through. The information in that case, it had a little bit of this individual's information in there, but it's actually the two parties are, that are involved in that case, uh, 1995F001665, mm-hmm. that, that case right there includes two separate people apart from the person who worked at Boeing. 
the reason why we were able to pull up this information is because his health insurance is mentioned in that case because he was providing the health insurance for the uh, minor that was involved in that case. And it's actually that is how the fraud was perpetrated. This individual had came to Missouri and got services over here in Missouri under the insurance that uh, Paul Price had uh, with Boeing uh, on the minor child. And also got some services over in Illinois. Some of them were medical. Most of it, the bulk of it was dental. Mm -hmm. And the laws are a little different in Missouri and Illinois. Since this case right here, the 1995F was adjudicated in Illinois, the Illinois laws don't apply in Missouri. And there were, uh, if you send a subpoena over to Missouri, they, they might respond, they might not, but they don't have to because it's not a state court. And anyway, this individual had turned over to the court $3,000 worth of medical and dental bills to the court claiming that she didn't have insurance at mm -hmm. the time. When in fact she did because she was going through a divorce and had just finished going through, it was all the paperwork was just finalized recently. I think it was uh, August of 2009 with Paul Price. When that case, throughout that case at the very end, that's when she got all these services. Uh, it was June in, yeah, June of uh, 2009 is when she got the services under his insurance, which he was court ordered to carry throughout the course of their divorce. So she had insurance, but she told the court she didn't. Yeah, and she filed some uh, fraudulent, uh, what do you call those? They were medical claims. She had sent a medical claim for services to Delta Dental of Missouri. Mm -hmm. Well, Delta Dental of Missouri was not the dental provider for Boeing employees, and she knew that. Delta Dental of Washington was the provider of services for Boeing employees. But because that one had a similar name and it came back with, you know, no, um, <clears throat> what do you call that? No merit. N not merit. I've got the file right here. Exactly what it said. It says, where is it here? Let's see. That's not even the right file. Give me one moment. Here it is. I hear of people doing this frequently. This must yeah. be frequent. Unfortunately. Oh. Yeah, they do. Uh, we got information from Boeing that the the insurance claims were actually paid out on this, uh, on these services mm -hmm. for the minor child. So we know for a fact that Delta Dental of Washington did pay her money for the services that were rendered. Mm -hmm. um, there are the service providers 
So she would have gotten back any money out of pocket from them once the insurance kicked in from Delta Dental of Washington. But what she turned over to the court was from Delta Dental of Missouri. And it made it look and appear like she didn't have any dental insurance mm -hmm. for her children. And that was all she had to provide was this one little slip of paper that made it look like there was no insurance at all. And this one here, yeah, it it was a really upsetting when we when we saw it. Uh, it took a a lot of looking because it didn't make sense when I saw this information, and I I'm the one who actually pulled it from the court on this case that she was involved in, mm -hmm. and it and they gave us copies of everything that she had provided to the court. Mm. So, yeah. Gotta pull this up. I've got all these different files here. Forgive me. Yeah. A lot of people would never dream of doing this. Some people no. are just so emboldened that they just can pull this and pull it off. Right. Well, when you're well connected to a right. number of officials, you can definitely pull this off. And this individual happens to be. Um, let me see. This is a summary of claim that I'm looking at. Yeah. It says. Let's see. Explanations of benefits. Trying to look at it here. Yeah, I got to open it up because my eyes forgive me there. But it, it does say. It, it shows all the, the information, the medical, uh, for the, the minor. Mm -hmm. And there was close to $2,000 on this one bill alone. And on it, it says, let's see, passcode, explanation of benefits. It says zero. Pan play, the plan pays zero is what it says because it's Delta Dental of Missouri and not right. Delta Washington. And the only way the, the dentist would have even sent this claim to dental Delta Dental of Missouri is under her urging. Because mm -hmm. she was questioned about this in a separate civil case with Paul Price. And when questioned, she completely avoided answering it and made this statement about uh well, I don't know why the dentist did that. The dentist didn't file this with the court. She was being questioned why she filed this claim with the court. And she totally deflected it and said, well, I don't know why the dentist did that. The dentist didn't file your action in 1995F. So that was ridiculous that she even said that. She completely deflected and didn't answer it. So when she didn't answer, what did the court did they try to make her answer? Like, why would a dentist file this? A dentist wouldn't do this. This is not what a dentist does. Right, right. Well, and that's the thing. You really have to listen to the audio from uh, the other civil matter. And the, uh, let me think here. What's that one? The case number for that is 2008D00013. Three one four, 
And if you look up Paul Price under court records for Madison County, you can see it right there. Um, the original judge that we had in that case was uh, judge, I mean, for the more recent actions, not the beginning of it, which was in 2008, but the mm -hmm. more recent one uh, that was filed around 2020, that one was Judge Foster. And then he got removed from the case and we ended up with Judge Montel, who is a new judge. He's also uh, a former uh, lawyer who practiced mostly uh, asbestos cases in Madison County with Gory Giuliani Law Firm. Mm -hmm. so, and yeah, he was the one who uh, tried to put the kibosh on a lot of this stuff. And uh, it's pretty disturbing. She's just been given a free pass on everything. Oh. Uh, due to COVID rules, our witnesses weren't able to enter the courthouse because at the time there was a, a prove up hearing where we had to have our witnesses testify. And we had three witnesses. Uh, one of them, uh, I really, I'm not sure what happened with him, if somebody got to him. Uh, the other one we really thought was going to show up but didn't answer his phone, but he was also injured. And because of his injury and COVID rules, he would not have been able to have entered the courthouse. And the third one, which was our private investigator, he actually had COVID at the time. Oh, man. Yeah. And wasn't allowed because uh, the chief judge, Mudge, his COVID rules under, you know, what he had ordered at the time wouldn't allow anybody with COVID or who was injured to enter the courthouse. So how, how can we even have a hearing if none of our witnesses are allowed to enter the courthouse? That makes no sense that there isn't some remedy for that. And no and why, process. Right. And the, and the judge refused to allow for a continuance on the hearing. Oh. Flat out. So explain that one. That one doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, to think he was being paid off or people know people. Yes, people know people. I mean, even though this is a county that has over 250,000 people, there are certain groups that are very tight. Mm -hmm. And Madison County is known for a lot of corruption. It has a reputation as a judicial hellhole for mm -hmm. uh, litigation against businesses and asbestos litigation, but it's not just a judicial hellhole for those cases. It's also a uh, considered a hellhole for people who have any kind of uh, court cases against anyone who is very well connected in that county. The state's attorney's office there, from what I've been told, is trying to think of the term for it, what I was uh, informed of, compromised. Mm -hmm. is, and I don't mean the current, I'm talking about the former state's attorney's office was very compromised. That was under Tom Gibbons. Uh, there was a report done concerning uh, a corruption investigation where his office had raided the administration building in Madison County, not once, but twice, looking for evidence. And it was really all just to deflect from his own corruption and friends of his corruption that they were committing, yeah, political. Wow. And that's what it was all about. And 
they influenced people to think that two parties were guilty of some corruption of their own, which was uh, Doug Hume and Rob Dorman, and neither one of them were guilty of any kind of corruption. The the attorney general in Illinois, uh, Raul, looked at everything and realized that this was all just a deflect from the actual corruption that was going on and refused to charge either one of these individuals. So, yeah, and not only were they compromised for that, but there's a report that Hackett did. He was a former judge. He's also an attorney, and he really dove deep into that and some other issues concerning a, another gentleman. I believe his uh, name might be Chapman. I'm not sure, mm -hmm. but he looked into that, and that report is very disturbing as to other matters that were going on in the state's attorney's office. None of it is good. So, what happened to this Tom Givens? <clears throat> was he just oh i'm sorry i thought you were finished oh no no go ahead but i mean did they uh force him out or he actually decided not to run again for state's attorney position and decided to run for a judicial position that had opened up on the madison county judiciary and he lost oh that's good <laughs> yeah very good yeah <laughs> And also the other people that he had selected to uh, replace him in the Madison County State's Attorney's Office, uh, Crystal Yui, she lost. And another state's attorney who was a former assistant state's attorney who worked underneath him on sex cases. Her name is Amy Gabriel. She was running for, I believe, the circuit clerk position, and she lost as well. So I was very happy about that because oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, a number of those folks, uh, yeah, they 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 knew about all this stuff going on and they did literally nothing and you know only aided it. So yeah, that was upsetting. Oh. The 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 corruption that went on in one nine nine five F zero zero one six five that one was under the prior state's attorney for Madison County. That was that actually occurred under uh, Mudge's time when he was a state's attorney, because before he became a judge and was voted as chief judge, he actually served as the Madison County state's attorney. And yeah, right after Hain became a senator, he became the state's attorney in Madison County. And in 2009, he was the, the at that point, point the state's attorney for madison county and tom gibbons was his main assistant mm -hmm. so yeah and it, and there are federal laws where they're required to check all this documentation that's filed so when this party did this that makes you wonder did they just miss it or did they intentionally miss it because by federal law they're required to check it because she was a uh, social security recipient and mm. she wasn't poor. Mm. So she wasn't, and she, we, we filed all kinds of FOIAs. We made sure that she wasn't getting any kind of Medicaid or food stamps or anything like that, which she wasn't, uh, or any kind of public aid because what was really odd and weird was that the state's attorney's office stepped in as her personal attorney in this case in 2009 and it didn't make a whole lot of sense because she had 
a bunch of different part-time jobs. She had her own business. She, I did the math. She was making close to $50,000 a year. So why would the state's attorney's office be entering in and representing this individual as a, an attorney in a civil matter? And when I looked up the laws in the state, the fact that she was getting social security for a separate minor child, neither one of them are Paul Price's children. Um, one that she had before the minor child involved in that one, they, that would have given them a, a, a way in mm -hmm. because the older uh, minor child was receiving social security because their father had passed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so with that, that gave them a, a, a way to, enter in and represent her which in my mind gives them a conflict of interest yes you know in any other matter what a tangled web we weave oh yeah yeah they they really did weave a really tangled one so it that begs the question why didn't they check and verify this because nobody contacted boeing to see if any any insurance benefits were paid out on mm -hmm. these claims and when Paul had contacted, because he was the only one who would have been able to legally have access to that information because it was his insurance. Mm -hmm. He checked. He's like, yeah, all this was paid out. But yet she told the court it was all out of pocket for herself. Her name was Patricia Price at the time. So she wants money out of him to pay all this stuff. Allegedly. Not out, yeah, not out of Paul. This was out of her daughter's father. His name is Dwayne Burnham. Mm -hmm. and uh he's as far as i know he's not even aware of this that he's been defrauded oh, out of three thousand yeah. dollars yeah and they made a lot of false not him but patricia made a lot of false allegations against paul he, uh, during their divorce mm. and she she had gotten a restraining order against him at what's called a tro over mm -hmm. there it was a preliminary injunction she kicked him out of the house and after she kicked him out of the house, she basically took most of the furnishings during that time period. And in Illinois, the laws for a TRO, you know, preliminary injunction, basically they're they're all similar. They're they they have little different nuanced meanings. But when you get one of those during a divorce, you have to use certain verbiage that the only way they'll, they'll issue one is if you claim that you are, you know, in fear of your, your life, you know, your well-being. Um, and she did put in the verbiage in there that she was afraid for her physical and mental, you know, well-being. And so because of that, she was able, she had grounds to get the TRO issued because normally they wouldn't, they wouldn't force someone out of their home like that. They would mm -hmm. not do. And uh, the laws were actually changed since their case was adjudicated because it, it first was filed in 2008. That's when she filed for the TRO. Since that time, the courts have forced judges to write out in detail why they're issuing or okaying a TRO, whereas mm -hmm. back then they didn't do it. And uh, so it, it really made it hard for other people coming behind them to figure out if one had been issued because if they just put in their order entered, which is what they did in Paul's case, it, it leaves some ambiguity. You know, was this person removed from the home or weren't they? But it does say order entered. Mm -hmm. And because it says that, 
and she did request that he be, you know, physically barred from the home. He was, and she kicked him out and she kicked him out. I believe it was on May 5th of 2008 or around right around that time is when she did this. And well, in Illinois, you have to follow up with proof evidence of mm -hmm. what you're claiming. You can't just go around making false claims against people. They require you to show evidence and proof. She never did. Mm -hmm. During the next three months, all the way up until August, she had plenty of ample time to show some kind of evidence, medical records or anything. She didn't, she couldn't because there wasn't any. Mm -hmm. And so they, that's when they actually barred her from the home, not him. And, but none of that was ever taken into account later on. You know, I, you just wonder why, because uh, there's like 102 states attorneys in Illinois with zero prosecutions of public corruption in the state by these states attorneys with nearly all cases being usually brought by the feds. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. None of them are ever brought by states attorneys. That was what was so unusual about Tom Gibbons, you know, conducting his so-called corruption investigation because they never do. And in fact, there's no, they don't, police aren't trained on how to investigate these cases because mm -hmm. over there, you know, your state's attorney's office, typically they don't bring cases unless someone in law enforcement brings it to them, you know, provides them with a case. And there's like zero training for police officers or even in the state's attorney's offices on how to address this. So yeah, the only places that do it are the feds, correct? And even with a, a federal prosecution, they're only going to bring a case that the FBI brings to them. Mm -hmm. So if you've got someone, say, that has a conflict of interest with a state's attorney, a federal prosecutor, say someone like Steve Wigington, or uh, who's a former AUSA, or someone in the FBI, yeah, nothing's going to happen. So well, that's really pathetic yes. you would think they'd have a, a forensic accountant you know fraud accountant dig into this right and nothing has happened zero <laughs> right so, it's disturbing so she's walking around scot-free mm -hmm. yeah she gets the state's attorney's office to basically be her private attorney mm -hmm didn't cost her any money to commit this fraud in, you know, 1995F. She got paid for it. Uh, it yeah, <laughs> it's like, why? I mean, she's she was a part-time teacher back in 2008, between 2005 and 2008. And in Illinois, a teacher is considered a public official. They're the small-time public official over there, you know, mm -hmm. Lowest of the rung of public officials, but still nonetheless a public official. Mm -hmm. Her cousin happens to uh, be a, a trustee, a Jarvis Township trustee. And she's got a, another relative by marriage who's involved in the uh, board of uh, probation over there in Madison County. She's a, a state employee. And yeah, there's just... It, but all those connections don't seem to have a whole lot of involvement in that. The the person who's on the uh, probation, Madison County probation, had minimal involvement, uh, very minimal. I don't even know if she was aware of any of this corruption. 
and come to find out, even before the 1995F00165 or 665 uh, corruption was involved, Patty Price was having an affair with mm -hmm. a man named Gary Box. And Gary Box had a phone that went to a fictitious person. And she was calling him several times a day, every day while she was married to Paul Price. Hmm. That points to an affair. Mm -hmm. And when we filed all of our information, we didn't have that data yet. When we filed our case with Madison County and to reopen their divorce in 2020, we didn't have her phone records. Judge Foster wanted the phone records because he wanted more evidence of whether or not she was having an affair with Gary Box and come to find out, yeah, she was. We got those phone records and those phone records pointed to her calling all kinds of public officials, uh, not just, uh, yeah, not just uh, Steve Wigington, uh, who was the, uh, back then he would have been a, assistant state's attorney in Madison County, but later on he became the uh, AUSA appointed under Obama for most of Southern Illinois. And she not only was she calling him, but she was also calling the Vonitas. Von, Mark Vonita was a uh, circuit clerk for Madison County. And he was also the former uh, court, yeah, I think it's one's the court clerk and the other one is the uh, the circuit court clerk and the other one is just the county clerk. He used to be the county clerk, but at the time, I think he was the county clerk. And then later on, he became the circuit clerk for the court. And his wife at the time was a supervisor in the coroner's office for Madison County. So she was calling them frequently. Mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of public officials she was calling. And right after... Judge Foster had removed from been removed from the case. Then comes in Montel, and at the this prove up hearing, he he doesn't allow this evidence to be entered in, which makes no sense, mm -mm. zero sense. And the only thing I can figure why is because he's friends with Steve Wigington. Mm. Yeah, so he has a conflict of interest. We found out now, you know, because I didn't know at the time that he was friends with. Steve Wigington. And Steve Wigington resigned from office. I'm not sure if you know his background. He mm -hmm. he uh yeah he he was a compromised individual as well. He was uh he was found out to have been having an affair with someone in the AUSA's office and had been creating a very uncomfortable situation for everyone in the office there. A hostile work environment is what they had found in the investigation. And so he was going to be removed if he didn't retire. You know, that's how they all avoid getting held accountable. Mm -hmm. All these public officials, they just, oh, I'm, I'm retiring. I'm going to go back to private practice. <laughs> and that's how they avoid ever having any kind of sanctions against them or any, you know, mm -hmm. criminal charges. They just quietly so they retire. Retire and collect their pensions and then go back to work. So it's almost like they're double dipping. Yes, in a way, yeah that's exactly what he did he he retired went back to private practice buzzfeed news actually had sued the government to get access to his name because they had only really publicly 
released information as to what had went on that two people had had an affair and you know had been discovered had been having an affair and you know one was a supervisor but they wouldn't name who they were Mm -hmm. and yeah that's public interest the public has a right to know Mm -hmm. and so they sued and they won thank god and Mm -hmm. yeah after they won it was released that it was steve wigington that he was the one who was having the affair with another supervisor in the office. And she was actually married to another AUSA working in the office under a different division. Yeah. No. Yes. Yes. And she's a supervisor and he was her boss. So yeah, that was very disturbing that that was going on. And they were in constant contact, text message, phone calls, the two of them. Yeah. He was very compromised. It's almost like what's in the water there that they're having all these affairs. <laughs> uh, you really don't want to know. If you look at Judge Hackett's report, you might find it. Or uh-huh. former Judge Hackett, excuse me. He wasn't a judge at the time whenever he uh, investigated the corruption going on in Madison County. But they had found that the state's attorney's office in Madison County was basically like a boy's locker room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like that. And that's probably the least salacious part of it. Yeah, I don't know if there's any minors listening to this, so I'm trying. Oh to yeah, that. I'll mark it explicit. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, that's yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'm, I usually mark them all. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, they're all at the watering hole. They they all know each other. They go to parties together. And yeah, the, the taxpayer needs to know about everything fraud all this stuff that's being pulled yeah i had heard about the parties but i don't really have a way to verify that one i don't do those kinds of things but Mm -hmm. two uh you know i don't i don't associate in the same circle so i can't verify or confirm what goes on at those parties i've heard stories it's very disturbing Mm. um You know, I've heard it alleged that uh, some people were having these uh, sex parties. Uh, Mm -hmm. Others allege that they were having uh, drug parties, but I really don't know myself. And so that's why I say alleged, because I have zero proof of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, all I can say is people should read the, uh, read Hackett's, you know, James Hackett his his report he was a former judge in madison county he's currently i believe a uh, defense attorney in madison county as well how do you spell his last name i believe it's h-a-c-k-e-t-t okay and now he's a, a defense attorney yeah he was a, a former judge and he retired um let me think. I don't remember exactly what year it was. I want to say, I can't remember if it was 2016 or 2018, somewhere in there is when he retired from the bench, which there's a whole nother story for another, another podcast. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, um, a lot of these folks, they do, they, they retire to avoid, you know, certain things happening. So I I think when they retire, they should just retire, not come back as a, you know, emerge as another attorney or 
prosecutor, whatever they're doing. Right. Because I mean, having a judgeship, that's that's the brass ring for attorneys. You know, mm-hmm. so for someone to say, well, I'm going to go back to private practice, that should automatically throw up a red flag. Mm-hmm. But if you see that something's gone on and you're just not privy to it, basically, from what I see, mm-hmm. from where I'm sitting. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. It makes you wonder, why would you leave the lucrative job of a judge to go down to being, say, a lowly attorney? You know, I, I don't think prosecutors make that much as a judge. So why would you leave that? Right. It makes zero sense. I mean, I don't I don't get it. But when you look at it under the scope of, OK, here you had this possible complaint being filed against you because you violated the Hatch Act or because you allowed evidence into a case that hadn't been, you know, proven authentic by Illinois rules of evidence, you know, like 901A and 901B, um, and you didn't allow the evidence to be entered into the case, but you allowed this individual to, you know, make a plea bargain with zero evidence of any crime being committed. Yeah, you, <laughs> you know, you're doing some corrupt stuff. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's actually, I believe, why Hackett left the bench. Because uh, from what I looked at in a in a separate case from these, he had did just that. And a complaint was getting ready to be filed. And a friend of his, a close personal friend of his, had been informed about it. And I believe she told him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her name was uh, Jennifer Shaw. Because she was visited right before he retired, two weeks before that. And then in August, surprise, I'm retiring. Mm-hmm. That's what he announced. So, yeah, I, I think he did, too. And he's retiring right before election time. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's really just very sad because, you know, this goes back to Paul Price. He's had so much of his rights violated. Mm-hmm. It's not even funny. It's it's very disturbing. There's other cases uh, that ended up coming forward to cover up all this he was falsely accused of some other things that he didn't do and evidence has gone disappearing in the in that case uh twice i had given his phone records to an attorney and twice they disappeared once i faxed them another time i had uh hand delivered them mm-hmm. they disappeared from that attorney's office that law firm that makes zero sense a phone that he was accused of using to commit a crime disappeared mm-hmm. from evidence. How does that happen? Yeah. That 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 doesn't but in this county, that's kind of par for the course. It's it's literally uh, a judicial hellhole. I mean, you know, you're guilty until proven innocent in this in this county and this goes back to 2008 d0034 patricia price had filed all kinds of affidavits in that case and where we found she was lying lying about her income she failed to really make her 
give, give the court a full scope of what her income actually was. And we found out that she had failed to put on her taxes, her jury in income, which was probably in the neighborhood of about 20,000 that year, didn't put it on her taxes. Hmm. And uh, there was something else there that she didn't file for. I, th I think it was, uh, she didn't put on there her social security income, which was to the tune of $5,000. Cause if you make more than $5,000, you're supposed to claim that on your IRS taxes. She didn't, hmm. um, but there's also some little nuance laws with that too, where she, wouldn't have had to have provided that had she actually been, what do they call that? A, uh, where, where you, I'm trying to think of the term for it. It's, it's where you're like, a, you're re receiving the money for them. A payee mm -hmm. is what it is. And when you're a payee, you don't have to claim it on your taxes because you're getting, you're just managing it on behalf of the pay, the payor you know, the, the, the beneficiary. Mm -hmm. And, but when you do that, you're also supposed to report to the government what that income is, mm -hmm. you know, where you, all the money is went, where it's been spent is what you're supposed to do to the social security department. You have to, every month you have to file with them and tell them how, where this money went. Okay. I bought shoes, bought clothes, bought food, mm -hmm. you know, none of that ever happened during their marriage and they were married for 12 years. Mm -hmm. So if she was a payee, how come it wasn't reported? And if she wasn't a payee and the income is actually hers, how come it wasn't put on the taxes? And she had misled Paul into believing the taxes were being filed late. She had contact, she was the one who primarily contacted the accountant mm -hmm. in that matter, because in 2008, they filed a joint taxes. Paul provided all of his information to the accountant. She was supposed to be gathering her stuff. She said it was being filed late. Come to find out it really wasn't. It was filed on time and she just withheld the taxes from him. And that would have given him more of a scope of actually what her true income was and mm -hmm. would have shown all that she was being misleading the court in her affidavits in that case in, uh, you know, 2008 in their divorce. So yeah, it's very disturbing. The only way she could have found this kind of stuff out was through talking to other public officials. Cause how, how could you, I mean, these are some really in-depth frauds that mm -hmm. she committed. So, you know, these aren't the things that most average folks kind of think about, you know, you would have had to have some connections to figure out how to do this and get away with it. <laughs> and yeah, the, the phone that was associated with Gary box goes back to someone we believe is a fictitious person. And it points to it being a government phone. So then it becomes, okay, he's not a government official. He's not a public official at all. So how is he getting access to a government phone that goes back to a fictitious person? And we know it's the phone was going to him because he had uh, used this as his main phone number on a number of uh government reports, government files, like some traffic tickets, and then with the county, you know, for property taxes and stuff like that. So the phone number, he was using this phone number at the time, but it was actually associated with a fictitious person in a government phone. So that is actually a, you know, it, the fictitious person has a female name of Smith. Hmm.
it's disturbing. And and the reason why they were doing that is because in Illinois at the time they have the, they had these love bomb laws where if someone is having an affair, you can sue them for a lot of money. And and the individual that they were having the affair with, both parties can be sued. And they changed those laws since that time, but it could have cost them tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars had they been caught. So they were definitely trying to keep their affair under wraps. And that's what these phone records that Judge Montel didn't allow entered in showed. Because there's a number of things in, in Illinois court that they look at. They look at, are you spending holidays together? Are you mm -hmm. spending birthdays together? You know, are you cohabitating? And cohabitation means more than just living together. Mm -hmm. It means, you know, uh, are you together on a, continuous basis so you know how how close is the relationship itself mm -hmm. so if you're calling like say the father of your boyfriend that you're having an affair with on his birthday i would have to say that represents a pretty close mm -hmm. relationship because people don't willy-nilly go around introducing somebody they're having an affair with to their family members unless there's going to be a permanent relationship there you don't get your family involved Mm -mm. like your daughter, mm -mm. you know, you just don't, because you're not going to risk their feelings mm -hmm. as well. If the relationship doesn't pan out or you don't have any future plans together. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she was calling his dad on his birthday, Dalton box. And he, she was also calling his daughter who was an, I believe an adult at the time, Brittany box. She was calling her too on, on their birthdays. Uh huh. Yeah. And he was traveling with her uh, when she was going for these little, I don't know what you would call them. They were like candle, uh, candle junkets, uh, not, they weren't meetings. They were like ce celebrations almost. They would go, they would have these things in Vegas. She did, did this candle selling business with sensations. Mm -hmm. And they would go to like Las Vegas and other places. And he would stay in hotels with her when she would go travel. And part of the reason why we know this was from Dwayne Burnham when he was uh, questioned by our private investigator. When he was questioned about it, he had said that he had seen Gary come out of a hotel room with Patricia Price. Yeah. And his daughter. Yeah, when they were in Springfield, Illinois, and it wasn't for a candle thing, though. It was actually for a cheerleading event that they were there for. And because of that, you know, and he had talked to his daughter and he said that, yeah, they were doing that on the regular. They were traveling together. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, very disturbing. And they, they kept all that a secret from Paul. Paul also worked second shift too at Boeing. Mm -hmm. So it was really easy yeah. to do that. Oh, yes. You know, you know they're all living a, a a separate life almost because they're living during the day. And he's he's also working lots of overtime during this time, trying to mm -hmm. pay all the bills for the family. He was working 10 and 12 hour days. His his time record showed that. And that was something else that was uh, disturbing. We had actually gotten access to those time records. Those time records are what went and missing from the attorney's office, which doesn't make sense. Mm -mm, mm -mm. 
not once, but twice. And that was in a separate matter from the two civils cases. And we tried to get that uh, that evidence a second time from Boeing because we did ask them to preserve that, but the manager of Boeing refused to give them back out because Paul had separated more than 13 months prior from Boeing. And this supervisor absolutely refused to have her employees go into the archives and, and pull these records, mm -hmm. which makes no sense. One of the things they accused Paul of doing was sneaking out of work and sneaking back home. That makes no sense. No. Right. And he, where he lives in Troy, Illinois, it's a 40 minute drive one way. Oh. That's hour and 20 minutes. There's no way he could have been sneaking out several times a week, every week for three years straight from right. Boeing. Nobody noticed. Right. We, when you work at Boeing, and I know this because I worked there too. Mm -hmm. And at the time, during that time period from 2005, 2008, he worked on the shop floor in a position similar to mine. He was a, a sheet metal riveter. Uh, they call it a SMAR. Uh -huh. And I I hadn't worked there yet, but when I came in later in 2009, I was a assembly mechanic, but a similar position. I worked on both electronic and, and sheet metal. That's what an assembly mechanic does. You're able to do both if, you, if they need you to. Mm. Well, anyway, but the jobs are similar in how they function. You have to clock in, you have to clock out. You have to clock in to get in the building. They have security. It's high security because it's a Department of Defense contractor. And so with that, when you're clocking in, you're clocking out, there's always a record. And with each job you clock on, they know how frequently you should be clocking, how long it takes to do those jobs. And if you're not frequently clocking, they know you're not at your, your position. An alarm goes up on your supervisor's desk and they come and look for you. Plus, mm -hmm. in that place, everybody watches everybody. Right. We're trying to do that. And part of it is because the job is dangerous. You could end up getting killed. There has been people who have died. There are not many. I mean, the accidents have been low. Mm -hmm. But there there has been a few incidences uh, in the past. And so we're all trained to watch everybody for safety purposes. Mm -hmm. If if you go to the bathroom for five minutes, everybody on that line knows it. Mm -hmm. And there are cameras everywhere, too. You know, you can't sneak out of that place and nobody know it. Yeah. And yeah, there's no way. Um, there's no way nobody would have seen that. The, and there would be a record. There would be clock records there there would be so many records that would show you're not in your job didn't happen did not happen and there even if you're well liked mm -hmm. nobody's going to want to do your job for you because if somebody is slacking on their job that puts more more pressure on everyone else to pick up for that person nobody's going to do that there mm -hmm. it's just not and it's also highly illegal it's a felony it's called stealing time from the government mm -hmm. because you're a government contractor they could have been sued for that had that been happening state's attorney's office didn't sue them mm -hmm. so what happened to that evidence that's what i would like to know mm -hmm. you know it's ridiculous he's just been railroaded all throughout all of this and it's all to cover it up to cover up for you know misconduct and, and malfeasance as far as i'm concerned because it makes no sense. Why wouldn't you allow this phone record evidence to come in? This is, this happens to people. I, you know, it's so sad because you hear of these stories and it's just, 
there's no uh, justice, no no relief. Um, no, literally, he has spent close to a hundred thousand dollars now. The stress from all this, uh, we believe, ended up leading to both of his parents uh, going to an early grave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. His his father uh, died of a heart attack back in 2013. Mm. And his mother ended up developing cancer and died in 2018. Uh, His dad, the men in his family normally live into their 90s and he died in his 70s. Mm. and his mom is korean and everybody knows about their longevity you know Mm -hmm. she's south korean and uh, she's a survivor of the korean war and yeah they uh she longevity was in her family but she ended up dying you know the early 80s so yeah very disturbing all of this and i ended up uh, myself losing a family member within nine days of his mom passing too yeah it's been very stressful all of this and a lot of people in this county would not talk to us a lot of people with knowledge would not talk to us people who aren't well connected but knew she was and would not speak to us on the matter they'd even flat out tell us yeah we know we're aware but i can't talk about it Hmm. yeah that's how deep this goes People with knowledge, people who knew her and her daughter, mm-hmm. Patricia Price's daughter, but would not speak to us because out of fear, flat out fear. So I really do appreciate this opportunity today. Thank you, mm-hmm. Marianne. Well, you know, people have to know about things about these courtrooms because they're very toxic yeah. and they do damage people. Yes. And send people to early graves i don't i don't know i think i wonder if they enjoy that it it really makes me wonder uh i i mean it's so disturbing it doesn't have to get to this kind of toxic level when when they got finally got divorced he he did get the house but it was they he had two mortgages on it because he was paying for all the family's bills. He was paying for her car insurance, uh, car insurance for her children, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, their phone bills. He was paying for their phone bills all the way up until the end of their divorce. And also her, some money on her credit card bills too. And then after that, he ended up paying maintenance to the tune of $722 a month. Yeah. And when she, when she left, back in august of 2008 moved out and got an apartment supposedly got an apartment uh she left three dogs behind so not only Mm. now have two mortgages to pay fully by himself he had to care for three dogs and pay her 722 dollars a month for how many years does he have to do that he had to do that no no it wasn't permanent maintenance you know she actually has a bad in teaching and she has some nurses training too we found out um but which we were able to you know find the evidence of that too he knew it but i didn't know her i didn't know him back when he was married to her so uh that's when, when i say we found out i met me and the private investigator so 
yeah she what was the question again i'm sorry oh i was asking uh how long was his um i guess alimony it was from 2009 to 2011 that's when the final payment went through and she also falsely accused him of not making all the payments when we reopened oh. the case yes she actually provided the court with some fake statements that had nothing on them no no payments and she tried to claim that well that was her proof that he hadn't paid her anything complete lies complete lies and she even had did that once before she mm -hmm. did that in in 2010 because she took him back to court claiming that he wasn't making his payments in a timely manner and that it was causing her credit cards to be late she filed a pro se filing in their prior divorce asking the court to garnish his wages and her attorney had already removed herself right before the end of the divorce i mean like literally right at the end she had herself removed from the case mm -hmm. that was back in 2009 so in 2010 she files this pro se motion claiming that paula wasn't paying on time her credit cards were being late and when it came time for the hearing you know, the judge asked her, where was her proof? She had none. She had none. He's like, well, why are we here today? He asked her this. Now, mind you, Paul didn't know that he needed to get all that recorded. He needed to hire a special court reporter to have all this documented, the words, what the judge was saying. Because in Illinois and Madison County, specifically Madison County, they don't automatically do that. They don't automatically record the court proceedings over there like they mm. do in other areas across the country you have to hire someone and specifically file motions with the court to get that allowed mm. it's which is insane how is that open court if you're not recording these matters but the judge looked at her like why are we here today and she goes well my my credit card payments are being made late because he's not paying me on time now he got paid every two weeks and she would show up at his door knocking on the door on payday <laughs> yeah and she even admitted that she was going herself to his house and picking up the checks really it was just an excuse to harass him is what she mm -hmm. was doing she was harassing him every friday on payday every two weeks knocking on his door wanting her payment and he would give her a check every week he kept oh, records of all these checks, every single one. He turned over every canceled check to the court at that mm -hmm. hearing in 2010. So he was able to prove he had paid her everything. I think actually had had one additional payment at that point mm -hmm. already. So he had more than paid her. Right. Right. And so, oh. again, it's like, why are we here? And come to find out what it was, is she just needed to change the date with her credit card companies and when her bills were due to coincide with his payments. He that's, had no a waste control. Of, that's a waste of court time. You can just call the credit company yourself. That's what the judge told her to do. Oh, so what, you know, was she fined for wasting taxpayer dollars? Um, no, that's what else is disturbing about this. And on top of that, by then, Paul had gotten so sick and tired of her constantly coming to his house knocking on her door and asking oh, for these no. payments yeah that he actually asked the court at that time during that hearing to get to issue the gar the garnishment 
because that way he wouldn't have to see her anymore. Right. And the court granted it. If you look at the order, the judge does say that her petition was denied and Paul's request was granted. It actually says that on the order in 2010, mm -hmm. in that case, in you know, 2008 D000314, the judge actually did allow the garnishment, not because she requested it, because Paul did, because he was tired right. of her coming and harassing him. And for proof, um, yeah. Right, right. And this is a person who previously claimed to be in fear for her physical and mental well-being from having to have continued contact with Paul. Yet, yet she's at his door. Right. Every, <laughs> every two weeks. On top of that, she moved three blocks away. Yeah, this is a person of means making $50,000 a year, well-connected in the county and moves three blocks away from a man. If you're being abused by someone and you're not so dirt poor that you can't afford to move away, you're not going to live within three blocks from them. Mm -hmm. And this person did. She moved three blocks away from him. On top of that, she even admitted in the case that we're discussing when it was reopened, 2008D000314, three zeros, 314. That case there, she was cohabitating with another man. During the time she was receiving maintenance, that's not allowed in Illinois. Hmm. It is not allowed. Once you move in with someone or get remarried, the maintenance is supposed to end right there. That's state statute. So it makes no sense that Judge Montel would have thrown this case out. You're Now we're talking government-sanctioned, you know, paying for her next, uh, you know, relationship. That's what the state statutes bar. But the court is going against that and allowing her to do that. So he she should have paid him tens of thousands of dollars in back maintenance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nope. So then we appealed, you know, hoping that the 5th District would do the right thing. They did not. Mm -hmm. They recently agreed with Madison County, which is even more disturbing. Went against state oh. statute. Yeah. And they cited a statute in their ruling that Montel did not cite. And it's one that involves children. Mm -hmm. But yet there was no children of this marriage. <laughs> Paul has no children with her at all thank god right oh yes that's definitely thank god but at the same time why are they citing a statute that does not apply there is no children born of this marriage but mm -hmm. that's the statute that they're citing for this oh my gosh yeah makes no sense nothing nothing does this this is like something that should be on 60 minutes yeah, it really should. Because she also stole his phone whenever she kicked him out of the house. His phone had government contacts, mm -hmm. you know, not just from CDMA, but also Boeing contractors who are defense contractors. Mm -hmm. And as such, even, even an email, a mm -hmm. phone number to those folks is protected under federal statute. Mm -hmm. That's only supposed to be in Paul's hands, not hers. So she stole his phone and computer and kept it. 
Yeah, for three years. Nothing was done about that. Those are federally protected items because it, the contacts on them are federally protected. Oh, man. Nothing was done. Nothing was done. So where does this leave your case now? Well, I found out that uh, both, like I said, Montel has a conflict of interest because he's friends with Steve Wigington. Steve Wigington was the AUSA who was appointed in 2010. Mm -hmm. He left office in 2015. And I'm finding out that Judy Cates, who's on the 5th District, also has conflicts of interest because she's friends with Steve Wigington, also known as Stephen Wigington, Stephen Ray Wigington. Wow. Yeah. She's friends with him as well. And uh, I believe uh, possibly the Box, fam Box family member, too. Mm -hmm. so she had a conflict of interest and should have removed herself before this ruling was issued and mm -hmm. she did not so that's kind of where we're at right now there's there's supposed to be a hearing in five days mm -hmm. on his case that was appealed out of the fifth district and there's her attorney is claiming that all of his claims are frivolous and not only is she doing that but she's also uh trying to get him to have to pay for her attorneys uh, in reopening this yeah it's disgusting that it's is very, very corrupt mm -hmm. yeah because you know, i want to have you back on to give us updates on this because this is fascinating um if anyone wants to reach you how can they reach you i can be reached uh through twitter my handle is Cass Clements with an S and it'll have my picture on that profile. I can also be reached on Facebook. My Facebook does not have my image though. It's uh, actually a picture of my, uh, my great grandmother mm -hmm. when she was a baby. So oh, okay. it's very old. It's got a gold frame around it. It's a tin type old photograph. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, yeah, d don't jump off. <laughs> Slam the Gals, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again in the future here with Cass Clements and other exciting guests. Thank you so much for all this information, and I will have you back. Thank you, Marianne. I appreciate it.